0: In a minute, I want to read verses 1 through 11, Romans 5, please. Um, I've got a Bible it up, but a device that you may want to use, or it's in the bulletin as well, so you may not have to look too far. Our kids are leaving, not because they don't like us, but because they're going to continue their worship uh, in their class. So... As we come to this passage, I'd like us to pray this prayer that we've printed in the bulletin. It's a 16th century a Dutch pastor, theologian, um, wrote it and I adapted it to help us as we open the scripture. I hope it's a reaction to you. When you open your Bible, I hope you pray that God would help you to understand and believe. So let's pray this prayer together. O Heavenly Father, your word is perfect, restoring the soul, making wise the simple, and enlightening the eyes of the blind. Illumine our darkened minds with your Holy Spirit, and give us humble hearts, free from all haughtiness and worldly wisdom, in order that we, hearing your word, may rightly understand it and may regulate our lives accordingly. To all God's people said, amen. Romans chapter five, please. Verse one, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And then together we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, the word of the Lord remains forever. What I'd like to do, just as we begin, is to, is to give you the flow of this passage, so you'll see the whole thing. And I'm doing that for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that it's a helpful one. It's helpful to get this flow down and to get it in your mind. And this is a... This is a um, kind of a flow of, of, of biblical thought that I keep in my mind all the time. And I recite it in my own head more than you could possibly imagine. But just to understand the whole of this. So it goes like this. It tells us that because we've been justified by faith in Jesus, not by our works, we have three very significant fruits from that or results from that. So because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God that has happened. There's no hostility between us and God. And we have gained access into this grace in which we stand, so we live in grace. So because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God, we live in his grace. And then we have great hope for what is to come. we We rejoice, we take joy, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, that which is to come. So that's the very beginning of it. So we've been justified by faith, not by works. Thus, we have peace with God. We, have, we live in grace, and we have great hope, the glory of God. But not only that, we even rejoice in the present day, even in the worst of situations. We rejoice in our sufferings, and we rejoice in our sufferings because of what we know We rejoice in our sufferings because of what we know. We know God. We know he's omniscient, he's wise. We know he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. We know he's omnibenevolent, which means he's good. So we know God. And knowing God, we know that God has a good purpose for this suffering. This suffering produces in us, works in us, endurance, which means he enables us to live in it literally to live under it. And we know that this endurance then produces provenness or proven character. It tells us that our faith is genuine. And we realize that rejoicing in our sufferings will never put us to shame. We'll never regret it. It'll never prove false, and the reason is because we know that God loves us, because his love has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and if you ever doubt that, you should think about it the way Paul says to think about it, and you should ask yourself two questions. One is, what was the cost to God in loving me? It was his son. And then ask, when did he love me like that? When I deserved it? No. He loved me like that when I was weak. That means I couldn't do anything about our relationship, and I wouldn't have if I could have. When we were ungodly, which means that our lives were utterly contrary to the way he would have us live. Sinners, which means we were by righteousness under his wrath, and we were his enemies. So the thinking goes like this. I've been justified by faith, therefore I have peace with God, I live in grace, and I rejoice in what is to come. But not only that, I rejoice even in the worst of times, even in my suffering, because I know God, and I know his intentions for this suffering, is to strengthen me, to enable me to endure it, and to produce his character in me in such a way that I see Christ formed in me and I say, I do belong to him. And this way of life will never put me to shame. I'll never regret it. It'll never prove false because I know he loves me. And I know he loves me because that has been the work of the Holy Spirit at my conversion and throughout to convince me that he loves me. And if ever I doubt that, I just have to think, He loved me with the greatest love you could imagine giving his own son. And he loved me when I was completely unlovable. And if he loved me then, then why do I think he doesn't love me now that I belong to him, that I've been reconciled to him? Does that make sense? Never forget that. Promise? All right, never forget that. So let me unpack that. Let's go through the details of it, okay. So we've been justified by faith, which means, you know what this means, we've already done this a number of times, but we've been justified by faith, which means not by my own works, my own righteousness, but by faith in Christ. So by trusting in Christ, his righteousness is given to me and his death is counted to me, so my sins are forgiven. So now I'm reconciled to God, so I have peace with God, which means there's no hostility between God and me. He's not angry with me. I don't live under his wrath. So when suffering comes, I know it's not his wrath towards me. Second, by this faith, I've gained access into this grace, the grace of justification, the grace of being accepted by God. And so now I live, I stand in that grace. I'm not under his wrath, I'm I'm in grace. That's where I live, and God's throne is a throne of Grace, so he rules and reigns over all things, even my own life, but he rules and reigns over all things, so that I would know his grace and live in it. And then finally, this, and this is the point we haven't gotten to yet, but now we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, even before you think about what that means, isn't that a great thought? I mean, doesn't that just 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 hearing that? I don't know, just hearing that, always just spring some life in me that I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I I can take joy knowing that I will see and experience God's splendor, God's, God's glory. You see, we always hope for that which is good. It's a future thing, hope, and it's hoping for that which is good. Now, we might expect bad to happen but we never hope for bad to happen, right? If you're a student and you're going to take a test, you may think, I'm not gonna do so well, but I hope I do, (laughs) right? Uh, Or um, if you're um, interviewing for a job, you may not expect to get it, but you hope you do. Hope is always something good that's going to come in the future, and this hope isn't based on some kind of probability, but biblical hope means that it's a certainty because it's been a promise, because it's a promise of God. And so what is it, this glory of God? Well, we know the splendor of God in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. We know the glory of God in Jesus um, that he came to to glorify, to reveal to us God. We see it in the cross of perfect justice and perfect love. But this glory is a restoration of the glory that's been lost. Remember Romans chapter three, the very famous verse we All have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God, which means we lack the glory of God. And so this glory is going to be restored in us. And yes, it's going to be restored in creation and all of that, but it's going to be restored in us. We are going to be glorified. How does Paul put it in Romans chapter 8? Um, we know this verse. It's a famous one. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, this glory of God that is to be true of us or in us is going to be restored. It's gonna be restored in our bodies. Um, In 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter 15, Paul writes this about our resurrected body. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, that is these bodies, but what is raised is imperishable. You See, the glory of God in our body is to be to have an imperishable body. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown in natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. And so we see this this glory of God in our body. We see it in our minds. Because of sin, the scripture says we live in the futility of our minds. We know now that our minds are to be renewed by the word of God, but a day will come When Paul writes as he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known, our minds, you see, reflect the glory of God and our character. We lack the glory of God as we live, we don't image him, we don't reflect him as we should. But a day will come, you see, when, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm sorry, First John in chapter 3, he puts it like this. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world <clears throat> excuse me, doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So what will be is pure. Can you even imagine that? In a little essay called The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis tries to imagine what a glorified human being would be like. And he puts it like this. He says it's a serious thing to remember that the dullest most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Now, Lewis isn't saying we should worship each other. But what he's saying, compared to what we are now, that glorified person, it would look like so other that we should worship. How can any be? Any, anyone? be that great because we will image God will reflect Him. So this glory that, um, that is to come is great in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. Paul writes, so we don't lose heart though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God I often mention Martin Lloyd Jones preacher of uh, in the last century um, the story is told that when he was dying cancer in his 80s That his daughter came into him, came into his room to pray, and he said, Don't pray for healing. Don't keep me from the glory. He saw it. So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. but, But not only that, how does Paul put it? I think you like that. He says, not only that, but we rejoice. As we, don't even, we don't just rejoice in what's to come. We rejoice now in our sufferings. He said, we rejoice in our sufferings, in our tribulations, in all the pressures. That's what this word, tribulation or suffering, means. The pressures of life. When these pressures come against us, he said, still we should be filled with joy, we should rejoice. As sufferings come, as believers, we should have a sense of joy. Now, we don't have a sense of joy, a sense of rejoicing because these, these sufferings one is as bad for us as they are for other people, because we're Christians. You remember? Jesus said, "In the world you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Just because He's overcome the world doesn't negate the fact that in the world there's tribulations. there'll be sufferings. And these sufferings are real for everyone. They're real for Christians. In fact, in fact, Jesus, remember when he was talking about the, the broad way and the narrow gate and the narrow way and all of that? He used the little expression, uh, narrow is the gate and hard or narrow, hard is the way that leads to life. It's just the noun form of this word for pressure, this word for tribulation, this word for, for suffering. He said, that's true for all of us. We will experience Tribulation. When you became a Christian. If somebody told you that your life now would be easy, that there would be no suffering, uh, you realize by now I trust that they lied to you. In fact, Paul, after he was finishing up his first missionary journey, is said to have said to this in Acts chapter 14, verse 21. Luke writes, when they, that is Paul and his companions, had preached the gospel to that city, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now he was encouraging and strengthening them with this word that says, you're going to experience tribulation. How could that be encouraging and strengthening to them? Well, because he was telling them the truth but he also gave them the hope that through them still, you wouldn't lose, but actually gain, enter the kingdom of God. These tribulations were no small thing. Paul himself knew the devastation, the difficulty, the suffering of these tribulations. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 12, he speaks of one, this thorn in the flesh that he had. And so he prayed that God would take it away and God didn't, but God said to him, verse nine, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong, commenting on this passage one. Commentator writes this. He says, they could be tribulations, what Paul refers to. They could be tribulations from loss of health. Do you know that, tribulation? Or tribulation in broken or strained relationships. Do you know that? or tribulations in vocational hardships have you experienced such tribulations, or hardships in disappointments, or accidents, or natural disasters, or tribulations in verbal or physical assaults. Do you know those kinds of tribulations? Or simply everyday inconveniences from traffic jams to plumbing problems, Anything that makes life harder and threatens your faith in the goodness and power and wisdom of God is tribulation, you see. This commentator even wrote that pre-COVID. And we're to rejoice in them. Again, we're to rejoice in them, not because they're easier for us because we're Christians. I mean, when Paul was being stoned and rocks were being thrown at him, they were real rocks. They didn't change into marshmallows right before they got to him. They hit him with the full force that a rock would hit him. And they cut and they bruised. And they rendered him no doubt unconscious at times. The same pain from those rocks. And, and we don't rejoice in them because we take pleasure in them. And it isn't that we're masochists. It's that we, we take pleasure in pain. That's it. It's, and it's not because we're crazy. We might be, but this isn't an indication of that. Um, And this rejoicing isn't a kind of giddiness. It's it's not a forget your troubles and all and and let's all be happy kind of thing. Uh, No, it's an inner peace, it's a contentment, it's this sense uh, that we can rejoice because of what we know. See, Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings knowing what do we know? Well, by this point in Romans, we know God. We know know his wisdom. We know his power. We know his goodness. We know his love to us. And so we, we we can trust him in all of this. We know that we live in grace. So these sufferings aren't God's wrath towards us, but his grace towards us. And that his grace will help us. And that's what... Paul goes on to say, he says we know that suffering has a good purpose, as suffering actually produces or works in us endurance. Now this endurance means that we can, we can bear up in it, bear up under it. That's, that's the sense of it, that in the midst of this that, that God will strengthen us, you see. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania before I moved to Florida when I was 15, but I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. Western Pennsylvania kids uh, grow up knowing steel. Kansas kids grow up knowing wheat. They knew nothing about wheat. But my grandfathers, who worked in the steel mill, taught me about steel. And they taught me about blast furnaces. In fact, they didn't only teach me about it tell me about it, I could see the effect of blast furnaces on their hands and on their arms. It was before OSHA. And they would tell me that this heat tempers the steel. This process of heating and cooling tempers the steel in such a way that it actually makes the steel, if you do it right, it actually makes the steel stronger. So then when my grandfathers taught my Sunday school classes, they talked to us about the tempering effect of the fires of tribulation in our lives. That's what God does. He makes us stronger through them. And the end result of that strength, it produces in us produces in us, as we have here in the ESV character, as you might have in the new uh, American Standard Bible, proven character. The literal word is simply provenness. It proves us. J- just like this, this process with the steel makes it stronger and, and, and makes it genuine and purifies and strengthens it. That's what's happening. And what we see in the midst of, of this these tribulations and difficulties, is God is working in us in such a way that his character, the very character of Christ, is what's produced in us. And we see that and it gives us hope. We can say, yes, even in the midst of this suffering, I see that God is at work in my life and he's actually growing me up. He's actually maturing me. He's actually strengthening me so that I, I now increasingly resemble Christ. That character. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter and chapter, chapter one. In fact, 1 Peter chapter one, beginning with verse three, is a bit of a commentary, I suppose, of, of even what um, Paul is saying here. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. So basically saying we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That this, this salvation that's being kept for us, this, 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 the fruition of, of all of this salvation is being kept for us and, and it will be glorified. So in this you rejoice Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, tests of your faith, blast, furnace, tribulations. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, the provenness, it's been tested, now it's proven, really is of God tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, those tested by fire, different metal, different metaphor, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter just puts it like this. You've got all this waiting in heaven for you and you rejoice in that. Right now you're going through various trials, but still you rejoice, why? Because you see God at work. God's strengthening you. At the end of the day, you look: like, how could I ever have gotten through that in faith? How could I have ever gotten through that? In fact, I'm stronger now, my faith is stronger. I'm stronger now than I was before. How could that be, but I see the very character you see of Christ in me and I wonder in these days of tribulation, with raging fires throughout our country and in other parts of the world for governments toppling, remembrances of assaults on our country, hurricanes, um, racial tensions, COVID deaths and division caused by COVID policies, perhaps of government and maybe even church. I wonder if we see this endurance in us, this character in us. We're still relying upon our own wisdom and strength. You see, when these difficulties come, the response should be, this sense of turning to God and seeking his grace. That's what happened to Paul. When Paul had this thorn in the flesh, it was a tribulation, so what did he do? He sought the Lord, and the Lord said, I'm not gonna take this away, my grace is sufficient for you. So how did Paul respond? He said, well then I'll boast, I'll rejoice in my weakness. I'll rejoice in the tribulation. Why? Because I realized that this weakness, because of the tribulation, this weakness, really results ultimately in God's power in me. And so you see, when we go through difficulties, what we're really to do is to seek the Lord, express our weakness, express, express our dependence upon him, not our own wisdom and strength, not our own power to get through this, but, but, but upon God, you see. And then when we do that, he strengthens us in the midst of that. Why? Because he says he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And, and so uh, this Strength is manifested us in the very character of Christ. And sometimes it takes us a while to learn that. We rely on our own wisdom and strength. Uh, we're trying to show ourselves smarter than everybody or stronger than everybody or, or more courageous than others. But are we seeing this provenness this character of Christ in us, his love. Rather than seeking our own way, are we being willing to sacrifice our own conveniences for others, our own way for others, our own interests, and consider the interests of others? His joy, is that being produced in us? Are we rejoicing in our sufferings because of what we we know or our sufferings producing a complaining or judgmental or bitter spirit within us. His peace, is that being produced in us? Not just an inner peace or contentment, but peace with others. His patience, is is that being produced uh, in us? How quickly we forget how patient God is with us. I remember we used to have this song, maybe you have it too, we played it for the children. And um, it was about patience. Have patience. Don't be in such a hurry. And one of our kids said, "You know that song is just way too slow." <laughs> <sighs> We're so impatient with each other. Is kindness? Do we want the best for each other? Do we? think the best of each other? Do we speak kind words to each other? And do we speak kind words about each other? Do we speak the truth kindly to each other, particularly when we don't see eye to eye? Is this goodness being produced in us so that we see the needs of others and Move to serve them, to help them. Is this faithfulness being produced in us? That we continue in faith, yes, but we also continue in this covenant that we have with each other to be faithful, to serve one another, and to bear with each other. Um, Is this gentleness being produced in us? Uh, A deep humility, really. The results in our considering the interests of others more significant than our own which is really the mind of Christ. I love that passage from the prophet Isaiah of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, and a burning flax he will not snuff out. You think of a bruised reed, you think of a, a reed that's just ready to break. I mean, if the wind even hits it, it'll break. If you walk by it and brush it, it'll break. But, but, but Isaiah says of Jesus, he's able, he's so gentle as he comes to touch right there at that bruise. And, and he doesn't break it, but he strengthens it. Or a burning flax, you know, you blow out a candle, just about ready to go out, and, and, you know, all you have to do is flick it and it's gone. But the scripture says, Isaiah says of Jesus that he can blow on that and it doesn't go out, it bursts into flame. Be that gentle with each other. That's what's being produced in us during times of difficulty and self-control. And that is the control that the Holy Spirit gives us over our minds and over our mouths and over our keyboards and over our send buttons and over our social media postings to make certain that we're being loving and we're making peace and showing patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and, uh, and gentleness you see When we begin to see that in our lives, that brings hope to us. Because we say, God is at work in me. See, the way to glory is always through suffering. That was the way for Jesus, that's the way it is for us. And why is that? Well, I don't know all the answers to that, I just know that it is. (laughs) But, But it could be this. It could be that when we're not suffering, when life is good, then we get confused. We think that when we're nice, that we're actually really nice. But really, it's just easy to be nice when everything's going well, or to speak well of each other, or to think well of each other, or to love. Jesus said, you know, even the tax collectors do that, and they were like the most disparaged people ever. They do that. Now, since if you really want to love, love your enemies. (laughs) When you're loving your enemies, there's no confusion. That's real love. And we know that's a real work of God. That's what Jesus said, you'd be like your father in heaven. You'd be his sons when you love like that. So you see that's a test for us. It's a blast furnace for us. All the difficulties of life, no matter what they are, do we see this character being proven in us? If we don't, we'll never have real hope I'll never have that hope that doesn't disappoint. When I do a wedding, I always like the end, after I've talked to them about love and how they're to love each other and all of that, I always say, now, how do you do this? How do you really love? And I say, well, first, ask yourself this question. If you've been to one of the couple hundred weddings we've done, you've heard me say this. Ask yourself this question. How has God loved you? Did you deserve it? Now, the couple isn't paying attention, but everybody else is thinking, no, I never really deserved it. And so I always say, don't wait for the other to deserve it, just love them. That's how you've been loved, you see. And then I said, now, do you want to be filled with joy? You want to rejoice? You want to be filled with joy? You want to have a life of rejoicing? And then I say, you know, Jesus told his disciples to love each other as he's loved them on the night that he was betrayed. And he summed all that up by saying, I've said this to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete because there's no real rejoicing ever in selfishness because that's simply self-righteousness and self-reliance. There's only joy in thinking of others and loving them. That's real joy. And then I say, you know you can't do this. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, at work in us, forming the character of Christ in us. Now the good news is, as a believer in Jesus, you live in grace, and he really is working in you. And, and this life, well, it may feel sacrificial or it may feel difficult to, to live like that. This life really will ultimately bring you great hope because what you really see is that when you find yourself forgiving and you find yourself being patient, you find yourself loving and you find yourself being kind, what you'll really see in your own life is Christ. He's actually at work in my life. I see it. I, I could never be like this, but, but he's enabling me to be like this. I must really belong to him. And so you see, as we as we live like that, we, we see Christ being formed in us. We say, yes, there's my hope. And that hope will never disappoint, it'll never cause you to, 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 to feel shame uh, uh, because it'll, it'll always prove right, it'll never prove false. And you can know this. In fact, you do know it. Because something has already happened to you when you were converted. The love of God was poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is given to you. That is God's love for you. You know it. That's what converted you. You you realize, oh yes, God really does love me and and I see this love in the work of Christ and how he saves and so he saved me and so at that moment in time, you know the love of God. Now, other times when it becomes a little blurred for you perhaps, but, but it's really true that Paul's making a statement here. He's saying this has happened, that the love of God has been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit who's been given to you and if you ever doubt that, if you ever doubt that, Ask yourself, with what cost did God love me? It wasn't a cheap love at all. He loved you by giving his son, that most precious, perfect son. And then ask yourself, when did he first love me? It was when you were weak, could do nothing about it, couldn't love him back, didn't want to love him back. It was when you were ungodly, completely living a life other than the life that would ever come close or even hint at pleasing him. It was when you were a sinner, meaning you were under his wrath. It means he did it when you were an enemy, his enemy, and he still loved you at that moment in time. So Paul says, listen, If he loved you then with the kind of love that would give his son, why do you think he doesn't love you you now that you've reconciled to him? You belong to him now, and so why would you ever doubt? It's unthinkable to think he doesn't love you now when he loved you then. Your sin didn't keep him from loving you then. It won't keep him from loving you now. (laughs) So, you've been justified by faith. You have peace with God. You live in grace. You rejoice in the hope of that which is to come, the glory of God. And you rejoice even now, even in the worst of times, even in your sufferings. Why? Because God's at work in you. He'll enable you to endure. he will form the character of Christ in you. When you see it, it will just spark your hope. And you know that this hope can't disappoint because it's from God who loves you. Don't ever forget that. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus, after giving thanks, took bread, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body. I love you. It's given for you. The same way he took the cup and again after giving thanks this too he gave to his disciples and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me the apostle adds as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup you declare the Lord's death until he comes. What are we declaring? You've been justified by faith. You have peace with God live in grace you have the certain hope of the glory of God and even now today whatever you're suffering God will enable you to endure it he will strengthen you he will keep you he'll prove to you that you belong to him by working in you this character of Christ so you'll have hope not just in what's to come but you'll have hope now that what is to come is really to come. And you'll reflect upon the love of God and you'll know that if he loved you then, he loves you now. Let's pray. Father, take this bread, take this juice, set it apart in such a way that we will be deeply and profoundly impressed with your love in our lives. And that we can trust you. So help us to be a people of joy, even in the midst of difficulties. Work the very character of Christ in us. That we may grow in hope, in this I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.